The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, long-awaited analysis of the Premier League weekend with outrage in Manchester at man's horror tackle display. Not a Kyle Walker story, that one would it be? We salute Saints draw at Old Trafford and ask, is Casemiro that kind of player? Elsewhere, Liverpool beaten a Bournemouth ahead of their trip to the Bernabeu. Faith builds for Arsenal with the Easter return of Jesus. And the bottom is looking squeakier than ever in the Premier League. So we have a quick round of who's going down. It's all coming up in this Totally Football Show. Monday the 13th of March, listener. Many thanks for joining us here on Toadly. We've uh, lined up for you today Daniel Storey uh, from his home in uh, Nottinghamshire. Hello, James. Yes. Also here in the studio, Jay Harris. All right, Jay. How are you doing? Pretty good, thank you. And Jack Lang with us too. Hello. It's going to be an interesting show today. Bereft as we are of our usual crutch of match of the day <laughs> analysis, what will we find to say without the Saturday evening Big dose of punditry. Um, by the way, uh, if you're listening outside of the UK, I should briefly say that the biggest story of the weekend in this country was not the football, but the suspension of the biggest football show that we have here with presenter Gary Lineker uh, basically told to stand back after criticising the government's approach to asylum seekers on his private social media account. He refused to back down from his position. They told him he couldn't do the show. Everyone at the BBC involved in their football coverage said, well, we're not working either. And they broadcast a bunch of highlights with no commentary, no, no music and, and essentially nothing. Breaking news this Monday is that a solution has been reached. Am I right, Daniel Story? Yes, Lineker will be back on the BBC and says he's very happy to be so. The BBC apologised for the suspension of the coverage, but not directly to Lineker, but, and say that they will review their social media guidelines with a particular slant on freelancers. Um, Lineker tweeted to kind of say, this has all been absolutely mad, but thank you for your support. The third of his four tweets was easily the best, which said that although the last few days have been pretty tough for him, it doesn't compare to having to flee your home from persecution of war to seek refuge in a land far away. And it's heartwarming to have seen the empathy and plight from people close to him and in the country as a whole, which is basically the perfect response, I think. Excellent. All right, well, welcome back to him. I was just going to say, the, the main hope for me is that this puts an end to people who have never watched Match of the Day before talking about, like, the footy <laughs> and with a particular slant on MPs, Conservative MPs sort of tweeting like, yeah, we, this was better anyway because I could go to the pub and be with all my, you know, my, my people. And it was just, it's the most cringing thing in the world to hear non-football supporters make football analogies. So that can now stop, hopefully. There you go. Daniel Story weighing in on the weekend's big issue. There were plenty of other talking points on field in what was a weekend, I would say, of big surprises. Jay, let's check through some of the results. It kicked off with Bournemouth-Liverpool, which did not finish 9-0 to Liverpool this time. But Cherry's getting their revenge with a 1-0 victory. The bottom five heading into this weekend all took points, in fact, because bottom of the table, Southampton, had that draw away at Old Trafford 0-0 with Man United losing Casemiro to a red card and consequently a four-game ban. Leeds picked up a point, 2-2 against Brighton. West Ham drew with Villa. There was victory for struggling Everton as they brought Brentford's long unbeaten run to an end. And now all that leaves the bottom six, Everton, Leicester, West Ham, Bournemouth, Leeds and Saints separated by just three points. Crikey. Up top, 
consternation as Newcastle and Wolves didn't draw 1-1. And we're on with a winner and a 2-1 home victory there. Spurs beat Forest 3-1. And the top two remain five points apart after City's 1-0 win at Palace and Arsenal's 3-0 demolition of Fulham. Crikey. Can we start the Vitality Stadium? Yeah, of course we can. Nice. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. I'm sure the flag will go up when this phase of play ends, but Watara still down the right-hand side. Drives one low and Billing turns it in and there is no flag! And Bournemouth do lead against Liverpool! Who saw Bournemouth 1, Liverpool 0? I saw a bit of it because I was in um, the Everton like press room ah, at the time. Right. Um, but then I had this very funny situation where Bournemouth score, and I think 99 times out of 100, um, in that kind of scenario, Everton fans are going to be rubbing their hands with glee that Liverpool are losing. But then you could just see um, all the Everton journalists, this kind of conflict that actually we kind of need Liverpool to, to do us a favour. And there are a few of them talking about how I felt like they'd walked into a, like an alternate reality where right. they were kind of cheering on Liverpool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I saw a, a little bit of it. Obviously the main talking point is kind of Salah's missed penalty and just yeah. the well, fact that, you know, a week after you think, right, Liverpool finally got some momentum again, yeah. they, they blow it. 7-0 winners against Manchester United and facing a team that they'd beaten 9-0 the last time. So of course they lose 1-0. Who can explain that with an emphasis on how well Bournemouth did? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Liverpool were were poor. They were not at it, and, and that needs to happen for a, a team haunted by relegation to beat them, especially one with Bournemouth's resources. But Bournemouth were also really, really good. They would have been having seen Liverpool play poorly after the first twenty minutes. I think they could have been forgiven for sort of thinking, well, a draw is a decent result. But they they really pushed forward. Dominic Solanke was probably had his best game of the season. He was kind of pulling out central defenders, dropping deep, pulling either Van Dijk or Canate with him. And then they had like Dango Itara um, flying basically on the overlap to try and get in. And he did it once and rounded the keeper and missed. And he did it again and then pulled the ball back for, for Philip Billing. And good on Gary O'Neill because players like Billing were, were playing as like defensive midfielders under Parker, just trying to shut up shop. And we've said before on here, when Bournemouth have had a lead, they tended to kind of fall towards their own goal. But this was them realising that they had a chance to win the game, not just take a point. And they were they were brilliant. Do you think they can do this against teams that haven't previously beaten them 9-0? I, I think they are. Their fixture list is difficult. They're, them, Everton and Southampton have the hardest fixture list, I think, between now and the end of the season. Um, but I think Bournemouth are the one team down there who can be forgiven for not being kind of suffocated and haunted by this mass relegation battle where yeah. we've got nine teams separated by five points. Because... We we expect them to finish bottom at the start of the season. We expect them to finish bottom pretty much after every weekend of the season so far. And maybe that gives you a kind of, we'll show you what we can do belief. Maybe so. Jay, that penalty which you were mentioning from Mo Salah, which looked incredibly wild until you saw the replay. And he, he almost pulled off something quite spectacular, actually, with it kind of bending it into yeah, the top yeah. corner, if that's what he was intending. Michael Reed pointing out that the real culprit, though, might have been the white kit five times that they've sported their all-white affair and uh, they've had no wins, one draw, four losses, three goals scored and seven conceded. Should they stop wearing it? Should they stop playing away from home as well? Because that seems to be a bit of an issue. I mean, that just sounds like clutching at straws a little really? bit. Do you know what I mean? That's how I feel. Look at the attacking talent they had on that game and they still couldn't, you know, muster a goal against Bournemouth. And yeah. also, 
I'm just really not a fan of Salah's run up with the penalty. I just I, I think it just looks so awkward. What, what what's the run up? He kind of, if correct me if I'm wrong, but he kind of lines up dead straight, and then as he starts his run up, he jumps to the right. Ooh, it, it just looks so clunky to me. Jack, you're nodding. Yeah, I mean, it, this is maybe more of a fantasy football point, but I've never seen like a a good penalty taker feel so bad at penalties. Like his yeah. record, his record is pretty good. Right. But he never feels you the confidence. And he's one of those players that you just think if you were the goalkeeper, if you just stood dead still, you'd probably save four out of ten mm. on this occasion. <laughs> Could have gone anywhere. <laughs> no keepers would have saved that. Yeah. Uh, Liverpool's record on the road is not good. In 2023, they've only had one victory. That was against the Newcastle side. who were down to ten men, which is a bit worrying in view of Wednesday when they're supposed to go to the Bernabeu and turn around a 5-2 deficit. Anybody see that happening? No, absolutely no. not. Um, even Liverpool? I mean, even Liverpool, no. All right. Well, I mean, even, by, by even Liverpool, I think they've got fewer away points this season than Southampton. So um, it's not really an even Liverpool, is it, away from home? I mean, yeah, there's a degree, as we've just said about Bournemouth, there's a degree of like, nothing to lose yeah. let's just go out here and, and attack it and see what happens but they're playing Real Madrid so there is a little bit of know-how there no mm. chance okay well we'll see if they get the first goal it's going to be interesting I'm they're, sure they'll lose 3-1 perfect <laughs> <laughs> all right I'll clip that one up for yeah, Thursday that's, that's coming back <laughs> <laughs> Bournemouth uh, still in the bottom three then after that win, but only on goal difference. As Daniel was mentioning, it's so tight down there with uh, everybody in the bottom five picking up points. Just on the subject of the Champions League, though, this week, other games that will be played Tuesday and Wednesday are Porto's game against Inter, the uh, side from Milan, 1-0 up from their first leg at San Siro. Napoli, who are 2-0 up against Eintracht Frankfurt, will be welcoming them to the Stadio Maradona. We'll have more on those games in Tuesday's show and on Man City's clash with... RB Leipzig, which is yeah, pretty delicately poised. It's 1-1 from the first leg, and Leipzig looked pretty good in that game. City warming up for it anyway with a kind of regulation 1-0 victory at Palace, who've got lots of problems. The goal, Erling Haaland from the penalty spot. Yeah, that was yeah. incredibly boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the combination of those two. So City, I don't find them as boring as some other people do, but in games like this when there's really no danger of them losing and it never felt like they would score more than one goal had a couple of chances to be fair but then couple that with Palace who are just deathly dull and just kind of seem to they've got so many talented attacking Mm. players but cannot seem to find um, combinations movements that set them free now got the lowest XG in the whole league really um, depending which uh, number outlet you look at. Oh, really? Do people, are there rival XG? I think so, yeah. yeah there are. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Which one do you... Well, what, so they, you got Opta? They often, like, meet in quiet streets in the dead of night. Like, <laughs> chains and belts with, with nails <laughs> shoved around. I had no idea. But My yeah. model's better than yours and all that yeah, kind of stuff. It's proper, like, West Side Story stuff. Well, according to the number of supplier that I get mine from... <laughs> where are they in that one? Uh, they are the first team on record to fail to have a single shot on target in three consecutive Premier League matches. They're also on the longest winless run in the Premier League. That's 10 games. That's empirical. Uh, they're four points above the relegation zone. No, they, I think they're three, actually. They're three points above the relegation zone. Crystal Palace, thoughts on them, asked Richard David Pike. They seem to have slipped into the relegation fight 
under the radar and looked like quite a rebuild in the summer because a good portion of their squad is out of contract at the end of this season. Yikes. I was chatting to Matt Woosnam, the Athletics Crystal Palace reporter, a couple of weeks ago when, mm. when Brentford played Crystal Palace. And, and Brentford scored like a 96-minute equaliser that game. So they were a little bit unlucky. Um, but we were kind of just talking throughout the game and afterwards. And his kind of concern is that he watches Crystal Palace week in, week out. And he can't really work out what Patrick Vieira's plan is. Um, and Vieira's been in charge for, for 18 months now. If he'd been in charge for six months, you'd forgive the team not kind of having his identity. But to have been in charge for what, three or four transfer windows now, to have 18 months of those players, as Jack said earlier, to have, you know, Michael Elise, um, Aberi Eze at your disposal and Zaha, and to to not play with any sort of fluidity going forward. Um, Mateta and Eduard are far from the greatest strikers in the Premier League, I think it's fair to say. Um, so they're very good at the back, um, but we've seen it with other teams in the past you can have a great defence and still go down in this division. Um, and I think the word that that's probably best sums up their situation is that it feels like they could sleepwalk into a relegation. Mm. As for City, that's now three Premier League wins in a row, which is their joint best streak of the season. Uh, they've not won four in a row all campaign. Their next league game actually isn't for another three weeks when they'll be at home to Liverpool. As a chaser, you want to be seen to be putting pressure on the leader and it's impossible to do that when... A, the leader is winning most of its games. Arsenal have won five in a row now. And B, they're playing before you. So if they put the points on the board, then Manchester City feel like they're playing catch-up from a position already of you know of hindrance. And yeah, I, I still think Arsenal win the league. Yeah, I mean, City's can still go on a decent run until the end of the season, obviously. Arsenal can afford to lose away to City and still win the title, obviously. But City aren't doing that. You know, their records have been 15 wins in a row, 18 wins in a row, 14 wins in a row, I think, in their last three title-winning seasons. They've just been sloppy. You talk about those three wins in a row. They, they then lost at home to Brentford after three wins in a row. They're just... Yeah, they're just not still not quite at it. And, uh, yeah, I think Arsenal win the league because <laughs> they're absolutely buoyant. Arsenal were certainly at it this weekend when they went to Craven Cottage and did Fulham 3-0. We'll talk about that next. This is the Totally Football Show, sponsored by LiveScore Bet. With Bet Builder from LiveScore Bet, you can combine markets from thousands of options to create your own bet on the biggest football fixtures in the Premier League, the Champions League, the EFL and around the world. So if you think you can successfully pick the first goal scorer, the final score, the total number of corners and whether there'll be a red card, then use BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet to make up to six selections and get a single bet with the combined odds. Or if you can't make up your mind, you can choose from the pre-built quick bet options. BetBuilder from LiveScoreBet. Building a bet just got easier. Find out more at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only. Full account terms apply. And of course, please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Hello there, I'm Danny Kelly, the host of the Athletics Tottenham Hotspur podcast, The View from the Lane. Spurs may have managed to comfortably beat Nottingham Forest over the weekend, but don't put your popcorn away yet, folks. The drama is aplenty in North 17. 
Results have been patchy and many fans have made up their minds that Antonio Conte needs to go. So why hasn't he been sacked yet? And if he did go, who would Spurs bring in? Our expert panel of Jack Pitbrook and James Moore come up with all the answers. So why don't you join us? Search for The View From The Lane on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your pods. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Cross up. Odegaard, surely three. This Fulham hospitality bordering on the absurd. Fulham nil, Arsenal three. The Gunners doing something that's never been done before in the history of English league football, which is win five consecutive away London derbies without conceding a single goal. Ooh. They were 3-0 up at halftime in this game to the delight of a watching Mick Jagger. Joe Jr. says, was the first half of Arsenal at Fulham, the best 45 minutes of football we've seen from a side this season. Just just quickly, did you see what was on Mick Jagger's hat as well? No. It said Dilf. Dilf. Yeah. Daddy. Nice. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, okay. yeah. Is he not a granddad by now? Well, yeah. Jilf. Sorry, did mm. I say that? Out loud? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, actually onto the, the action itself. Yeah, Arsenal were phenomenal. Uh-huh. Um I've not watched every single half a team's played this season, so I don't know if I could go on record and say that, but I think they really needed that result. They needed a result where there wasn't any jeopardy after the, you know, the Aston Villa and Bournemouth. Mm. Um, and the sporting game. Yeah, exactly. I know my colleague, James McNicholas, has kind of spoken about how there seems to be so much emotion wrapped up in Arsenal at the moment. Every win was, you know, last ditch. Um, so I think they needed a kind of comfortable victory like that. And some of the football they were playing in the first half and even in the second half, although they didn't score a goal, was absolutely brilliant. I mean, that, that Xhaka chance where he dummies it. And then, I don't know, I think um, Tosin Adarabaya kind of puts his hand up for an offside and it, it distracts Xhaka. But had he scored that, it would have been one of the goals of the season. Some of the play was was sumptuous. And, you know, Nketiah didn't start. Well, he's not even in the squad because of injury. Jesus came back from injury, but mm. didn't start. He was on the bench. So Arsenal just getting it done. Trossard was was phenomenal. I do wonder if the Mudrick Trossard saga will almost people will almost look back on that as actually that was almost a blessing in disguise. Right. Arsenal ended up with Trossard instead. Yeah, I was going to say Trossard is starting to look like a transformative signing. He, you know, he was someone who was kind of seen as a stopgap, maybe someone yeah. who could chip in in the second half of the season because when he was signing, Ketty was doing pretty well, but in the four or five matches. Since he's come in for Nketiah, Arsenal have rediscovered their touch completely. Nketiah is a really good player, but Trossard, with the switches of position with Martinelli, he's two-footed, he's creative, he's a hard worker. Uh, three assists in one half here. This kind of 
little interim period between Inketia going out the side and Jesus regaining his place, when Arsenal have really recaptured their kind of uh, spark, I suppose, this could be a crucial moment in the season. Trossard is, is one of the men most responsible for that. Arsenal were five points ahead of City when they lost Jesus and a lot of concerns about how well they'd be able to defend that lead. They're still five points clear, so pretty good job. There's no rush to bring him back in either. Yeah, I wouldn't say so. They can they can now afford to kind of, you know, give him 10 minutes here, 20 minutes here, uh, ease him back in. It seemed like, you know, the team spirit was boosted by his return. It seemed like a nice moment uh, to have him there. But yeah, again, no rush now. They've got Nketi as well, who is a different option, maybe can be more of a, an impact sub. And I think he'll be very good in that role as well because he's a really pure finisher. But suddenly... They got loads of options. Yeah, Indeed. Because even Jorginho, I don't think he even came on. And the couple of games he kind of filled in for Thomas Party, some of the passes he was making in those games, he was doing really well. So, yeah, the kind of strength and depth that Arsenal have at the moment is really encouraging. Were they flattered, though, in this game by uh, the Palinia-less Fulham? Yes, he is probably the most important individual player in a Premier League team this season, I think, thinking off the top of my head. In the score, I talk about this like N'Golo Kante index where you ha- you just add tackles and interceptions and work out which Premier League midfielder is really, really busy. And yeah, it's it's Palina who's 10 ahead of any other player in the Premier League. Uh, well, in tackles he, alone, been... he's, he's made 58, which is 26 <laughs> more than any other player. Yeah. Wow. Which is almost twice as much as any other player. <laughs> he's just so busy. He's just everywhere. And unsurprisingly there are reports in January of like linking clubs with him Spurs are, are very interested Liverpool have been linked this morning I'm not surprised by that he is not going to be at Fulham for very long uh, and they should be you know counting their blessings while they have him because he's been a game changer at the start of the season if you just said which player does Fulham desperately not want to lose for any period of time it would obviously have been Alexander Mitrovic mm. and it's not and it's incredible that Mitrovic is now no longer Fulham's most important player yeah, three Premier League games he's missed. They've lost all of them, conceding 11 goals in the process. Arsenal then remain five points clear with reasonable-looking fixtures at home to Palace and Leeds on the way. Uh, not far behind in third are, of course, Manchester United, despite the fact they only drew against Southampton. A goalless draw. A Cas B, uh, this was on Sunday at 2 o'clock, Cas B says, who'll be more disappointed with just one point? Man United or Saints feel like it'll be the latter. Yeah, I mean, they had chances, Southampton. Theo Walcott had a one-on-one. Uh, Kyle Walker-Peters hit the post late on. And, yeah, it didn't really... I mean, obviously, the red card shaped the game somewhat, but even... Made it easier for Man United, <laughs> as former Southampton manager Nathan Jones, etc. So. Um, well, yeah, Man United had to take Veghorst off, which may actually have helped Southampton in it in that part of it. But, yeah, they, they didn't really show up, United. They were kind of using Sancho in this central position again from what I saw that didn't work brilliantly and yeah Ruben Sellers made a really good start to live at Southampton just kind of consistency of selection I think mm. so he's he's played the same centre-backs in his four matches in the Premier League so far whereas previously I mean Southampton's centre-backs was kind of just like throw two darts at five pictures and pick whichever ones they land on <laughs> um, so yeah clean sheets I think Obviously, a long way to go and not the best going forward. But mm. if you build a foundation, Che Adams might score four or five goals within the Could season. Happen. And they stay up. All right. Only two points from safety as it stands. Slick back merchant, though, says, does Jack 
uh, no if Casimir's disciplinary record is a deeper issue or just a case of him being clumsy. The, the thing that a lot of people have been pointing out is that before moving to England, he didn't have a bad disciplinary record, at least at Real Madrid, where he was only sent off twice in 222 Liga games. He never got a straight red in league or Champions League football for Real, but he's already had two in, what, 19 Premier League games for Man United. Yeah, it's two in the last eight games, isn't it? Wow. Um, Both given by VAR, points out producer Charlie, which I guess might have a bearing on it. Or, or maybe it kind of speaks to his ability to do the innocent face mm. and kind of stay on the right side of referees. Um, I mean, it's a skill doing that. Think about Fernandinho was also very good at this, just doing enough to avoid uh, red cards. And now, you know, I mean, this was undoubtedly a straight red card. It's a terrible challenge, and I don't know what anyone was complaining about. Mm. Um, but yeah, maybe... Maybe he's entering the red card phase of the career. Maybe so. Four-game ban he faces. He can still play in the Europa League where Thursday they'll be up against uh, Betis, Real Betis of Seville. 4-1 up from the first leg. So that looks reasonably comfortable. But the next time he'll be uh, eligible for a domestic fixture will be, ooh, against Nottingham Forest on the 15th of April. He's going to miss Fulham at Old Trafford in the Cup and then three Premier League games, Newcastle away, Brentford at home and Everton at home how big an absence is that yeah it is i mean my my very very vague theory is uh, for the red cards now versus at real madrid is that he's probably having to get through a lot more work now and kind of just being sort of stretched maybe more to his limit he's been brilliant this season but i think there's probably a desperate he is seen as kind of manchester united's firefighter and so there's a kind of desperation to get everything done. The red card against Palace was different because it was kind of, you know, it was a, a fight effectively. But maybe that shows he was a little bit on edge and frustrated again. I think there probably is a sense of feeling like he needs to go out and impress everyone, which maybe wasn't quite the case at Real Madrid. Um, but yes, they will miss him. Um, and United how... without him and yeah. on the back of a 7-0 defeat against Liverpool, now drawing goallessly with the bottom team in the, in the division... Yeah, but I think they'll still finish top four, which is hmm. should always have been the the aim for this season. They still have the Europa League, which um, they seem to be enjoying life in at the moment. And obviously, Casemiro isn't suspended for that. So, and yeah, I think they'll up. be fine. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Excellent. All right. Uh, looking at other teams down at the bottom end, as Southampton stay bottom, but as I mentioned, only two points from safety. How about that win for Everton? How about that win for Everton against Brentford, Jade? Brentford, who hadn't been defeated in 12 matches? Yeah, 12 matches, and it's all come undone at Sean Dyche. FZP20 says, did someone from the monarchy die? <laughs> I still get a bit of grief over this. Um, <laughs> I can't uh, think Fair why. play, I'll give, it, I'll give him that. That was a good one. Um, I think, you know, Thomas Frank came out after the game and said Brentford... Um, lost a lot of second duels and he was quite frustrated and that they kind of lack quality on the ball. But I think ultimately, if you go 1-0 down to a Sean Dyche side after 35 seconds, then you've got an uphill battle. Um, and I know that we were kind of talking about James Tarkowski versus Ivan Tony before the game. And I think he did a pretty good job on Ivan Tony, um, which was a shame because Gareth Southgate was actually at Goodison and, um, and Steve Holland was at Brentford beat Southampton a couple of weeks ago. So I do wonder if he, he might potentially get recalled for the... Um, Euro 2024 qualifiers that are coming up at the end of this month. Um, but yeah, Brentford, they did have one good chance in the second half, Rico Henry, a header. Um, but it just felt like, you know, 12 matches unbeaten for any team in the Premier League is pretty good. For a team of Brentford size, it's, it's phenomenal, right? Like it's just 
quite it would, people will look back on this as quite like a special period in the club's history, which is what I wrote this morning. Um, and so I think I spoke to a lot of fans on the the train back, and they were like, Do you know what, we were kind of due a result like this. So there wasn't any doom and gloom about it. I think if they go to Southampton on Wednesday and put in another underwhelming performance I think there'd be a bit of frustration um, but I know these things happen and every time Brentford have come up against Sean Dyche um, he seems to get one over on Thomas Frank um, and they've actually got quite a good friendship um, I think they hang out a lot uh, in the off-season at like um, leadership conferences and things like that and Thomas Frank said that when Sean Dyche got the Everton job he texted him and stuff like that so it's kind of like quite a nice friendly rivalry between the two um, but yeah they just can't seem to, to get it done against him. Okay what did you make of Everton? I thought they played pretty well. Um, they had quite a combative midfield three of Decore, Gay and Amadou Anana. And they didn't really have an out-and-out striker, which I think worked in their favour. They kind of just left Amari Gray as the centre forward. Mm. And he was kind of playing on Ben Mee's shoulder. And obviously everybody knows Ben Mee's not the quickest, but he's quite good at anticipating where the ball's going to drop and things like that. But I just think there are a couple of times where Ben Mee was probably left exposed because if we get into the real tactical detail, he plays left centre-back, Rico Henry plays left-back and he pushes really high. So there's probably a lot of times where Gray was able to get one-on-one -on -one with me and that's kind of where the goal comes from anyways, where me's being harassed by Gray. So I think Everton did a pretty good job of just being solid and making sure Brentford you know, couldn't really play some of the free-flowing football we've seen from them recently. Okay, Mark would also like to ask why VAR disallowed Demarai Gray's goal. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair question. Yeah. Um, when I saw the replay, I thought it would still be given. Um, it looks like it comes off his chest. Um, I mean, there's one angle where it looks like maybe it brushes his fingers, but then I guess VAR is supposed to only come in on clear and obvious stuff. And mm. for me, that's not clear and obvious. So you should just kind of go with the, the benefit of the doubt and, and kind of give the goal to Gray. Fair enough. Three wins in four home matches for Sean Dyche. As many quickly, sorry. Mm. So Sean Dutch has now won three games as Everton manager. Um, so three out of seven games, right. which is the same amount as Frank Lampard won in 20 Premier League games. Right. I hear what you're saying. Mm. Brentford, as you mentioned, are in action again on Wednesday away at Southampton. Also that night, you've got Brighton against Crystal Palace. Thoughts on those games? Which will you be tuning into, Jay? Well, I'll be going down to St. Mary's on Wednesday nice. um, to cover Brentford. Um, but just on Crystal Palace, and obviously we spoke a little bit about their, their malaise at the moment. If they can't get up um, against their rivals, Brighton, then you can imagine that the, the fan base really starts to turn against Vieira a little bit. I think there's all, already kind of simmerings of discontent anyways. But, you know, if they get turned over by Brighton, then that's going to go up to another level. Yeah, indeed. Brighton, who are fresh from a 2-2 draw at Leeds. Daniel, what would what should we make of that? Well, Javi Gracia's kind of big aim is to make Leeds less chaotic and mad and probably interesting as mm. they were under Jesse Marsh and Marcelo Bielsa. But yeah, I, and I think it's working. But the, the worry is that they're grinding out draws from games without playing particularly well while... And it's, it's a worry not just for Leeds that, that teams below them are starting to win games that we wouldn't expect them to. So, yeah, at least one of those teams is going to get pulled in by drawing too many matches and maybe it's Leeds. Crikey. Really endearing celebration from Pat Patrick Bamford, I thought. The kind of like, oh God, I haven't scored for so long. <laughs> Thank God for that. And he, he, I love Bamford because he just lets it all out. He knows he's... You know, he's not the the coolest character in the world. <laughs> and he just properly went for it. Loved it. Beautiful. If David Moyes' plan is to make West Ham less interesting, he's doing a remarkable job, <laughs> eh, Daniel? You went to West Ham Villa. 
How much do you want to talk about that? I feel, yeah, I feel like I, I should be should buy a T-shirt for myself that has that on the front. Uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't good. Uh, and this was kind of sold, although less officially than the Everton and Forest games, as like David Moyes' saviour day. Um, and for the first time in those fixtures, they didn't turn up. Uh, they, there's some huff and puff there, but there's there's absolutely no quality given the options he has. Jared Bowen was the one player that looked to kind of invent something and create a spark, and and probably normally a draw at home against an informed Villa is not a, not a bad point. But West Ham are in big big trouble and don't seem to be doing anything better than mediocre in yes, any area. Yes, seventeenth place. So in their defence, they had come back from a trip to Cyprus on Thursday night mm. in the Europa Conference League, where they had a two win over AK Larnaca. There's interesting comments um, from Moyes after the game on Skamaka as well. Mm. I'm just trying to get it up quickly, but he basically yeah. just says that he's not not I, quick enough to get in behind. Just saying that his physical data is not good enough at the moment, and he needs to improve it. Which I read as he's not working hard enough in training right. and, and in in matches. I'm sure Moyes would say, "Oh no, that's not the case." But that you know, reading between the lines, that's what I think he was suggesting. Hasn't done much since that announcement video, has he? Did you <laughs> <laughs> the James Richards curse. It is breathtaking that Moyes. As you rightly say, James, implied that like a lack of speed was an issue when he was a striker they brought to re- kind of help Mikel Antonio, who is not that type of striker. And they brought Danny Ings in January, who right. was also not that type of striker. And then brought on Maxwell Corner, who does have pace, but isn't a striker. It's, it was, yeah, it was a bizarre... It, it feels like Moyes giving up on, on Skamaka. If you're not going to even bring him on at any point of a game when... Yeah, when you were chasing a goal and needing points, that mm. suggests that it's broken. And they also had an issue with Lucas Paqueta yesterday, who was substituted and was pretty angry about it. Didn't shake the the, the incoming player's hand. Didn't look at Moyes. Went straight down the tunnel. I think he did then subsequently come back out. But yeah, does not look happy at all. Okay, uh, Ollie Watkins, meanwhile, scoring in six of his last seven Premier League games. So he's really benefited from that Ings to West Ham transfer. He he is. I've seen. I think I've now seen every Premier League team this season, and Watkins is a striker that surprised me the most. He's he's been absolutely brilliant when I've seen him, particularly under Emery. Like either kind of he's doing that Gabriel Jesus role kind of plus where he drifts out wide to create space for players to dash past him. In this case, Buendia, but he also holds the ball up really well, and obviously he's great in the air. Scored a header here. He's he's dealing quite often with scraps, Watkins, and he he was brilliant on Sunday. There you go. Villa remain in 11th place. West Ham very much in 17th. Ooh, next up, we'll have a bit of Forest chat. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. It's your perfect teammate, the Sutton to your Shearer, the Heskey to your Owen, the Mane and Firmino to your Salah. Whether you're selling Ibelon to Jimbo t-shirts or Max and Barry half and half scars, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, 
grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScoreBet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. It's the 13th of March, everybody. What happened on this day in 2020, Jack Lang? I'm terrible at that stuff, so no idea. Sorry. 13th of March, 2020, Jay? Uh, I, I know because I looked. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the Premier League was suspended because w- of um, coronavirus. Yeah. Which is crazy to think that's three years ago. Isn't it? Yeah. Crazy to think that's what it took as well. Because on the 12th, you'll recall, there was that announcement of uh, everybody wash their hands, but keep, you know, yeah. keep calm and carry on. And then it was Arteta so, testing So I was going to say, is this yeah. when, because is it Hudson-Odoi and Arteta both tested positive on, on the, the same? On Thursday, which but, was the 12th, yeah. But Arsenal were supposed to play Man City that mm. day. And I think the Premier League put out a statement at like half past 12 at night or something like that. Forrest will it be owed a huge debt of thanks if Arsenal win the league this season because it was their owner of Angelos Marinakis who <laughs> reportedly passed on the the virus to Mikel Arteta because they played Forest in the FA Cup. Uh, Arteta then had three months with the squad which he says revitalised him imprinting his ways upon them and suddenly all is well. I thought it was Marinakis meeting him at Olympiacos in the whoa, Europa whoa, League. Whoa. Okay, that still counts. That's still Forest, though. <laughs> well, that's extraordinary. Yeah, sorry, Jay, you're actually right. That, that was the last game I did before COVID. Really? In Greece. Yeah. So you're you're not getting thanks as well, Jack. Yeah, I did. <laughs> a little um, chesty cough after that one. <laughs> that's a remarkable. That's a remarkable sequence of events. Hmm. Mm. A podcast should suspend and then do a kind of. Um, flip reverse it feature on what would happen if, it... if we hadn't locked down let's not because Jack Lang hates flip reverse don't you <laughs> yeah no good I, I only like it for the music mm, there you go anyway so who'd like to do some flip reversing that's Forest fans after their side were beaten 3-1 by Spurs you say that James but there's every chance that we flip reverse it that Forest lose 5-0 6-0 4-0 really? against also, Spurs yes yeah. Yes. It was officially Spurs' best first half of the season at their Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 2 0 up at the break with uh, two goals from Harry Kane, one of which was a penalty, the first one he's taken since that uh, unfortunate business against France in Qatar. So everybody happy, right? Right? Right. Does yeah, anybody know the backstory of what's happening at, at Spurs? I'm reading reports of. Oh, about the managerial uh, yeah, uncertainty. Yeah, discontent with the pain. Conte picking a fight with Richarlison or, or stepping up oh, for a yeah, scrap yeah. with Richarlison and senior players calling Pochettino. Oh, apparently, yeah, saying Poch. Yeah, well, well, obviously, the, the, the kind of funny image from that game is Richarlison scoring, um, doing the shush celebration and then it getting ruled out or offside. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes. But uh, one or two issues, but a, a mighty win for Spurs and one that helps them in, uh, their, in their quest to finish top four this season. Bad news for Forrest, though, not least the fact that that Brennan Johnson, who we hear week on, week out, as being vital to their prospects, mm. is off with a groin injury. Daniel? Yeah, he's having a scan, I suspect, 
today as we record Monday he, that he'll have that scan. I mean that is hmm yeah it, it's not good anyway because they can't pick up points away from home mm. but um yeah if Brennan Johnson's out for any significant period of time uh Forest have got Newcastle um the next three games they've got Newcastle at home on Friday night. Uh, they also play Wolves at home and Leeds away, which pretty much is the season. I think they need to take, they can afford to take six points if the one they lose is against Newcastle, but they can't afford to lose the teams around them. And uh, yeah, they are the, they are the team with Palace that are slipping down from that kind of very false position of what looked like mid-table security. And yeah, I think they're in real, real trouble. Who who would come in for Brennan Johnson? Uh, it's hard to know. They've got so many players that you'd basically they haven't got anyone else with that sort of pace so you'd basically have to rebuild the side maybe with like Chris Wood as a central striker rather than playing out on the left maybe if Tower Aranese back he could play as a central striker but yeah maybe Gibbs White can do that but then you lose what Gibbs White does in terms of kind of changing the pace of the ball in midfield uh they look very one-paced in defensive midfield Forest it, it what's what's mad is that They've played, signed 30 players, and I know Forest Foot has really disagreed with me this quite strongly, but they've signed 30 players, and I think it's basically unarguable that Ryan Yates and Brennan Johnson are two of the three most important players after Morgan Gibbs-White, and they were both there last season. That suggests that something has probably gone awry in their recruitment. Nine teams separated by just five points, all of whom you could make a strong case for ending up in the bottom three at the end of the season. Do you want a quick round of who's going down? Jay, who would your three Who's my be? prediction? Mm. Uh, Bournemouth, Southampton and... Hmm. I've taken far too long with this. I'll say Bournemouth, Southampton and Leeds for now. Really? I think, yeah, I, I would have said Everton before, but I think just Deitch's ability to just kind of grind out um, those like 1-0 results, I think we'll, we'll keep them just about safe. Jack? Yeah, I agree, actually. I think... I think Leicester will have too much quality eventually. I think West Ham will just have too much. I see I see Forrest as the one that could Yeah. Potentially get dragged into it. I don't I think Palace will be okay in the end as well. Probably Wolves too. So yeah. But I, I think Essentially, it will stay as it is. Leicester too good to go down. That's the billing you're giving them. That's exactly what I'm saying, yeah. Right. This is the same Leicester that's had a five defeats in a row in all competitions. Daniel, who you've got? Uh, Bournemouth, Southampton and Forest he said as a pessimist Right, okay If you just look at the amount of goals those teams at the bottom are conceding you've got Palace Palace and Wolves 33 and 37 so that's a pretty good record but then you drop to Bournemouth 51 Leeds 42 Southampton 41 Leicester 46 I know we, we I think we're probably all in consensus Leicester will probably yeah, just have enough quality to get out of it but then you just look at those defensive records and you just know they're going to leak goals and unless they turn that around it's difficult to see them getting enough points to, to survive. Yeah. Forest 47. Uh, oh, yeah, against, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack. Just on Forest briefly, they've kind of replaced Watford in the fun category of can still dig a, dig a player out of their squad and play him in like March or April that I didn't know was there for the entirety of the time. Like Andre Ayew this week had no idea <laughs> he played for Forest until he scored that penalty. Missed the penalty. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's how big an impression it made on me. <laughs> Extraordinary. I think right. um, he only joined after the World Cup, anyways. I think. Yeah, he was, he, he came he actually came after the end of the, the January transfer window yeah. as a because he was a free agent. Um, I think he was previously at Al Sadd in Qatar. Yeah. Um, yeah, and now everything's making me feel Al Sadd. And now yeah. I think he 
the last thing anybody can remember him doing before he missed that penalty uh, against Tottenham was missing a penalty for Ghana against Uruguay, which was a, a huge match at the World Cup. So, yeah. If it comes down to the final day of the season, it's going to be ever so exciting with Leicester taking on West Ham. Ooh. Palace up against Forest. So, hmm. Everton, Bournemouth. Oh, my God. All over the place. Saints. I Liverpool already feel too. sick. <laughs> <laughs> What about Leicester then? Does anyone else buy into this notion that sooner or later Rodgers will right the ship? 3-1 they were beaten at home by a Chelsea team who've rediscovered their verve all of a sudden. I just, I just cannot see how that many good attacking players especially won't eventually get them out. I mean, Johnny Evans will return from injury now, which is going to be massive for them because Daniel Amate keeps playing there and he's <laughs> an average midfielder and much less than average at centre-back, I think. Uh, but yeah, look, you, you can't have James Madison, Harvey Barnes, Ian Acho, Tete, all these players in your team. You know, you are going to score goals and they're not very good at the back, obviously. They're not going to do that thing when teams kind of grind out 1-0 wins and 0-0 draws and creep to safety, but they're going to get three threes and win a few 4-2 maybe. I just cannot see any way that they won't pick up enough points. Okay. And they were playing here, a Chelsea team who, as I say, seem to finally rediscover their their quality. 2-0 winners against Dortmund at the middle of last week and scoring here some lovely volleys. Kovacic, Ben Chilwell against his former side as well. I know you're a big fan of Enzo Fernandez, Jack. I am, yeah. Uh, I've got a piece coming out on him, I think, Tuesday morning. Okay. Don't hold me to that. But yeah, really good player. Do you want to tease any little nugget in there? <laughs> um, I just spoke to former coaches, Hernan Crespo. Oh, yeah. Oof. Uh, Can't just... F- former coach, oh yeah, Hernan Crespo. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, what they told me, well, relating to this game particularly, is that we, we kind of... Uh, he's been playing the deepest in midfield since mm. he's taken over because Kante's injured. But actually, his his talent really comes to the fore when he's a bit further forward. He's really good at operating in those spaces around the penalty area and his assist for Havertz's goal mm. really showed that. I think that that was easily my goal of the weekend, just kind of glorious little scoop pass and a really dainty finish. And yeah, I mean, I think they've got the pillar of their midfield for the next 10 years, I would say. Excellent. On the subject of that Havertz goal, kind of file that under the what do we know department because it was only seven days ago that we were sat here talking about how the numbers revealed that he was absolutely useless up front and Chelsea needed to sort that out immediately. He scored in back-to-back games since then, so well done, Kai. One of them was a retaken penalty. Oh, yeah, that was really poor, actually, fair. And that also had the commentary. I know this is not this week, but the Mm. commentary said, the coolest man (laughs) in the stadium. He just missed a penalty. (laughs) It really wasn't that cool. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, uh, Newcastle are four points behind Spurs with two games in hand this after their... 2-1 2-1 victory over Wolves. Uh, Alexander Isak picked ahead of Callum Wilson and it made a big difference? Yes, it did, finally. Uh, just the movement, just like the fresh freshness of the movement of wanting to take on players, not just holding the ball up. He was, yeah, he was probably Newcastle's best player. Excellent. Incredible that Nick Pope didn't get sent off, ah, I fair. would say. <laughs> because Jimenez did make a big deal of it and he was probably looking for the contact, but the contact arrived. And yeah, I thought that was a massive, uh, massive let-off for Newcastle, who weren't brilliant again. But yeah, I think 
did just enough in the end. If I can be really annoying and okay. just um, check back to um, the Leicester-Chelsea game quickly, how Ricardo Pereira didn't get sent off for his tackle on Jao Felix, I've no idea. Um, it was only 90 seconds into the game, um, but really, really high up. It's probably worse than the tackle that Casemiro got sent off for. Would you just shown it to us? Because this wasn't in any of the yeah. the thin gruel of Sky highlights that we were <laughs> that we had to rely on this weekend because of beloved institution match of the day being shut down. That's interesting, that James. That we weren't outraged by a refereeing decision because we hadn't <laughs> seen it in detail on match of the day. But Jay's now shown it to me, and I am outraged. Yeah. I'm outraged about poor old Jao Felix because, as you say, that is worse than Casemiro. Casemiro, I think, is going for the ball, but his his foot slides over the top. To what extent he intended that, I don't know. But there is there's no question of Pereira going for the yeah, ball. He's, he's just going straight in on the guy's tibia. Yeah, he's nowhere near the ball whatsoever, um, and he's really high up. And that is one of those challenges that can, well, can cause a really serious injury. Counterintuitively, it might have been better for Ricardo Pereira to have got a yellow card for that incident because the fact he didn't get booked means if the referee says he, that's because he didn't see it, then he can be charged post-event. I see. All right, then. Well, that's the state of play after the weekend's action in the Premier League. Two games coming up midweek, as mentioned, Southampton taking on Brentford and Brighton against Crystal Palace. Also, some big matches in the Champions League before our next show, which in Premier League terms is on Thursday. Before that, of course, Tuesday we'll see James Horncastle, Julian Arons, Alvaro Romeo and Raphael Honigstein discussing events ahead of the Champions League in the big five continental leagues. We'll probably also get a word or two on Galatasaray, who've only gone and set a record 14-game winning streak this weekend. Remarkable stuff. That's out anyway with you on Tuesday. On Monday, the Athletic Women's Football Podcast will be out to featuring loads of chat probably about that clash of the top two in the WSL with Sam Kerr's brilliant goal that everyone's raving about, Jay. Yeah, it's a really good goal. James just picks up the ball inside her own half, just plays like an absolute peach or a pass. Sam Kerr runs onto it, chests it down, chips the goalkeeper. Boom. Long again, looking for Kerr, and she brings it down superbly, and she scores brilliantly! And that really is what Sam Kerr is all about. Makes it look as simple as you like. Okay, well, more on that in the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, which is out on Monday. Super. Anything else, Jack, that you want to leave us with before we wrap up today's show? No. Daniel? (laughs) I can't add anything to those words from Jack. Okay. Just need to um, do our anagrams, don't we? Do we, though, Jay? (laughs) Do we? No. Well, I... All right, so many thanks to everybody... (laughs) who sent in a question this week, including including the person who asked what anagrams of our names would be. Uh, is it rare Taobao finds? I think it is. Cake taster and not cake taster, as I previously called him. Rare <laughs> Taobao finds. Thank you so much. I personally have zero interest in anagrams, probably because I'm no good at them. Daniel, you did one, though. What did you come up with? Uh, destroy alien. Well, that's nice. It's Jack? quite a Daniel story. I think it's a very easy name to do anagrams with. All right, Jack. Letters yeah, wise. Jack Lang is not. There's no. There's no extraneous letters to play is with. Is there, there not? No, it's just. It's bare essential. Yeah. Okay. Minimalism. And J M D Harris. Mm, I feel like I'm kind of regretting bringing this back up now because um, mine's hairy jars. And if. Uh, oh yeah. No, and, if, and if and if some. No, pe- I like anagrams. Now. Yeah, but if some people are still asking me about the um, did the Queen die and that's why Brentford lost, then I yeah. can imagine in six months someone's going to start hairy jars all the time. Mm. Not sure what it means, but I like it. <laughs> 
Excellent. Listener, thank you so much for your company today. Do join us again soon. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by LiveScoreBet. Get the latest football betting odds at LiveScoreBet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.